Good morning. Welcome. Uh, thanks for being here today. If you're watching online, thanks for logging in. Appreciate you doing that. Tonight at 5 p.m. is the um, congregational dinner with the meeting following at 6 p.m. Uh, if you signed up for the dinner, please be here at 5. Even if you didn't sign up for the dinner but would like to come to the meeting, we'd love for you to be here uh, tonight at 6. If you didn't sign up for the dinner uh, and you walked in and you smelled the building, you'll pay attention in church next time, won't you? Um, <laughs> and for those of you watching online, I'm sorry we haven't figured out smell vision but it smells really good in here uh, today. So thankful uh, for our cook team uh, that's doing that. Um, I'm glad to be back uh, from Israel. Uh, it's good to be home again. Uh, I brought back more than just uh, some great pictures and some souvenirs, <laughs> some kind of bug or something. I'm about 90% today, uh, which is better than I felt all week. So I'd be I'd welcome your prayers to get through this. Uh, and I would also encourage you to be praying for Richard and Rhonda Adams. I know that some of you have heard about this. Uh, their grandson, Ollie, 10 years old, died suddenly this past week. Um, heart issue. So just be praying for the Adams family. They're in deep uh, grief right now over this. Um, just be sure to lift them up this week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, grateful for the chance to be together this morning and again this evening. Um, just uh, pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless the Adams family, give them uh, comfort and peace through this time, very, very difficult time. Um, and uh, open our hearts and minds, God, to what you would say to us through your word today. Uh, we love and praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're in a sermon series about how the Lord wants us to switch out of survival mode into thrive mode. And each week in this series, um, you know, we're beginning the message with some top tips from Chapel Rock's resident experts in their respective fields. Today we're talking about financial thriving, so I want to ask Matt Teeple to join me on stage. Uh, Matt is a certified financial planner, and so he's going to talk to us about uh, thriving financially. Matt, thanks for coming. Appreciate it. I'm going to do this. I want to infect you. There you go. Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, hi, church. Uh, as Casey said, I've been a financial planner my whole career, about 20 years. And uh, ever since Casey asked me to speak today, I've been thinking and praying on what God would lead me to tell you. And this might surprise you coming from a financial planner, but thriving financially is much less about dollars and cents than it is about heart and mindset. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about money. In fact, there's 2,300 verses on money, possessions, or wealth. And Jesus himself talked about money in 11 different parables. So all of my top tips come straight out of uh, Scripture, and they are accept your lot, worry is fruitless, and you are not an owner. Uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 5, Then I realized that it was good and proper for a man to eat, and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. So I ask you, what is your lot? And have you accepted it? We live in a culture of keeping up with the Joneses where we never seem content. We just keep accumulating more and more stuff. We always compare up to the Joneses, but we rarely compare down. And I find it interesting, uh, if you earn more than $4,000 per year, you're in the upper half of income earners globally, uh, which is kind of crazy. Uh, this is also why Solomon says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. 
Paul gives us his solution to this in Philippians when he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Uh, The second point, worry is fruitless. The most often quoted exhortation in the Bible is fear not. And yet we are so prone to worry, especially about our finances. Jesus speaks of worry in Matthew 6 uh, when he says, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? He then goes on to talk about uh, why do we worry about our clothing and our food. These are the things the pagans run after, and your heavenly Father already knows you need them. We've got a God who is a provider, so there is no need to worry. Uh, lastly, you are not an owner. Proverbs, or I'm sorry, Psalms 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Church, we owned nothing when we came into this world and we'll take nothing with us. We're simply entrusted by God to manage what he's given us during the time that we're here. It's when we act as owners that we often extend beyond our lot into things we can't afford. We accumulate debt and then we worry about it. It's a vicious cycle that doesn't really end until we start acting as managers, not as owners. So what does biblical management and stewardship look like? I'll give you a few tips. As best you can, avoid debt. Proverbs 22.7 tells us that the borrower is slave to the lender, and nobody wants to be a slave. So don't borrow money that you can't easily pay back. Uh, I love that our verse this morning was one that God put on my heart. I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul tells us that we should all give what we've decided in our heart, not out of compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Jesus himself told us it was more blessed to give than receive. And in Malachi, God invites us to test him by bringing our whole tithe to the storehouse and see if he will not uh, (laughs) throw open the floodgate of blessing upon us. Who would not want to be blessed like this? And lastly, I'll share the 10-15-75 principle where I would encourage you to give your first fruits of 10%, save and invest 15, and then feel free to spend the remaining 75. In giving, God will change our hearts and our motivations and priorities and bless us in a way that our finances never could. In saving and investing, we'll be honoring God with what he's entrusted us to. And then we have tons of freedom and liberty from God with what's left over. Now, I know some of you are already doing this and are thriving financially, and there are others that are struggling, and the thought of getting by on 75, let alone the 100, is hard. And if I could, I'd like to encourage you because it is possible. It really, really is. It may take intentionality and sacrifice, but start right where you're at and start taking baby steps, and financial thriving will be there for you as well. And to equip you, uh, we are running a Financial Peace University coming in January, just in time for New Year's resolutions. Um, This will be a nine-week course that I'm going to help co-lead with Anthony Reese, and it will run during second service. And we've run it for a lot of years. I've only been a part of it for a few, but I know a lot of you have been here. If you're financially thriving, I'd encourage you to come back and share your story and be an encouragement to others. And if it's been a while, come back for a refresher. But especially if you've never been at all, please come. I know it'll be a blessing to you. So praying for your church to thrive financially. Thank you. Would you express your appreciation, please, for him? That's good stuff. 
I mean, the water's good too, but that was, that was good stuff. Um, <laughs> church, open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 26. A couple weeks ago, we started a series where we're looking at the people of Israel's experience coming out of slavery and entering into the promised land. And their experience through that period of sacred history, I think, uh, prefigures and, and mirrors our own um, as we switch out of survival mode that we've kind of been in for the last two and a half years and into thrive mode. And the next step in that process is looking at how God teaches the people to gain a lot and give a little. And the order of that statement matters a great deal. Somewhere in California this week, somebody did the opposite. Maybe you saw the news. On Monday, one single loan winning lottery ticket was sold for the record $2.04 billion Powerball lottery jackpot. In Altadena, California, at a gas station, someone bought a winning ticket. Um, in fact, the jackpot was so large that lottery officials were not prepared with the right signage. Uh, on the sign in the gas station, it said, Millionaires Made Here. And they had to cover the M in millionaire with a paper B because now it's a billion billionaires made here. Um, I've never played the lottery, I, so I had to look up how to do it. I was just kind of curious. I didn't know. I've never done this before. Basically, a ticket's two bucks, right? And you, you pay your $2, and you, you, know, you get five numbers on these five little white balls, if you've seen them do it, at the end of the news, and one red. So there are, what, 40? Let me get this right. Uh, 69 different uh, white numbers and 26 different red numbers. And if you match all six, uh, five white, one red, you win the jackpot. Um, the, the odds of winning the jackpot by matching all five white balls and the one red Powerball are one in 292.2 million. It's slim odds, right? It's been said that the lottery is a tax on people that are bad at math. <laughs> I, I, I am bad at math. I, I don't, and I don't like taxes, so I don't play. Um, but, but somebody did it. They won this week, right? Now, we don't know how many tickets they bought. Uh, be, I think it would be hilarious if it was just the one. But uh, to get that chance at winning. But still, you know, they gave a little and gained a lot. What's interesting in Israel's story is it's the exact opposite. God gives them a lot and asks them to give a little. The gift, the big gift is given before they ever give anything back at all. The big gain is freely given not as a condition of getting the little gift, but as a necessary expression of the nature of the one granting it. Here's what I mean by that expression, necessary expression. Giving is who God is. It's his personality. It's his character. It's his nature. Probably the one verse that everybody in this room has memorized says so, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's, it's the essence, it's the nature of who God is. So God's generosity to us is simply an overflow of his character. It's an overflow of his personality. It is a necessary expression of who he is. And so we're gonna see in this text today that all of the initiative for blessing is from God, right? But his, his people are only gonna really enjoy those blessings 
when they let go of their own agency in thinking that, that comes from them. No, it comes from God. And when you're able to let go of your own agency in, in achieving it and understand that it's from God, then you get to really enjoy, you get to really thrive financially with what he's blessed you with. That's part of God's plan to allow you to thrive. Here's the big idea today. When you fully appropriate all of the blessings that God gives you to help you thrive, the natural continuation of thriving is to give some back. And the order in this really matters. (laughs) Understanding how greatly God has blessed you, then you become like him and it just becomes a natural outgrowth of who you are. And we're gonna talk about how to do that today. Probably for some context, I would encourage you to go home and read the latter half of Deuteronomy 14. That's where God initiates the principle of the tithe. That's kind of the background of the text today. We don't have time to get into all that. But in Deuteronomy 14, so 12 chapters earlier, God initiates this principle of tithing, setting apart the first and best 10% of your wealth, right, for him, for him and his service. And then he expands on that in this incredible passage in Deuteronomy 26. Look at this with me. Deuteronomy 26, starting in verse 1. Pay very close attention to this first verse, Okay. When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. Where is this place? Well, eventually it became the the temple mount in Jerusalem. At this time in Israel's history, it would have been the tabernacle wherever it was set up, which for a long time was at Shiloh, which is in kind of central Israel, a little little more in the middle, actually, than than Jerusalem was. Jerusalem's a little further south. Um, But that's where probably it was at Shiloh during this, this time frame, okay? This choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land. And by the way, he says, Lord your God. It's a term of respect to the priest. It's not like he doesn't worship God. He does, but this is a term of respect. I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering, this is the farmer who's talking, right? My father was a wandering Aramean. Church, who's he talking about? This is the part where you talk. (laughs) Who's he talking about? Abraham, yeah, Abraham. He's talking about Abraham. And he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us. Whoa, stop. Us? We mean us. This is part of the generation that, that came out of, not only came out of slavery, but remember, they were young. In, in the, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Their, their parents were that generation. This is the next one. What do you mean us? He's putting himself in the story. He's appropriating the story of his people for his own life. He's saying, I am part of this. I I am part of this legacy, this continuation of faith. The Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. By the way, I studied for this sermon looking at it. It's pretty nice. (laughs) And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. 
Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. When you have finished setting aside a tenth or tithe of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite. This was the, the, one of the 12 tribes, right? That was a, um, their, their lot was not land, but it was the service in the tabernacle, in the temple. The foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Then say to the Lord your God, I have removed from my house the sacred portion. You're gonna see this word, sacred portion. It is related in, in Hebrew to the same word for tithe. They're related forms. They're different words, and so it's translated differently, but they're, they're cognate forms in the original language. I have removed from my house the sacred portion and have given it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow according to all you have commanded. I have not turned aside from your commands, nor have I forgotten any of them. I have not eaten any of the sacred portion while I was in mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor have I offered any of it to the dead. You're like, what in the world? It, that would be Canaanite worship. And he's saying, I've, I've, I've not been part of any of that. I have obeyed the Lord my God. I have done everything you commanded me. Look down from heaven, your holy dwelling place, and bless your people Israel and the land you have given us as you promised on oath to our ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. Like I said, we're talking about fully appropriating God's blessings so we can thrive today. Well, what, what, what do I mean by fully appropriating? Um, somewhere in California, there's somebody holding a ticket for $2.04 billion. Do they have the money? Not yet. They haven't come forward yet. We don't know who it is. But they're holding the ticket. Now, granted, if they take it in one lump sum, it's about $998 million. I'd take it, right? <laughs> like, uh, okay. Uh, so they're holding this ticket. It's on, on its face value worth $2.04 billion. They don't have it yet. They've not fully appropriated it yet. Now, hopefully, they're talking to a lawyer and setting up a trust, right? Because... I don't know if you've read the stories, but it tends to ruin people's lives when they win these big prizes. He had another reason not to be part of that. But they've not appropriated. They've not claimed it yet. In this passage, God teaches his people that they have to fully appropriate the blessings he has for them in order to really thrive. If they're gonna thrive in the land God has given them, if they're gonna grow and flourish, they've gotta appropriate all these blessings for themselves. They can't just say, yep, got the ticket, <laughs> So how do you do that? Well, there's something in the text that you might not have noticed. I tried to uh, tip you off a little bit. It's in the first verse. There are three verbs there that are really important. Look at this again. When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it, right? Other translations use the word conquer, and have settled in it. Do you see the progression there? Look at those verbs. Enter, possess, Settle. I think God is laying out a plan for his people on how to thrive financially. Enter, possess, and settle. Three steps. Step one, enter. And this first step, I think, is when you begin to realize that all your blessings come from God. You begin to enter into this experience of understanding that, that everything you have is from God. You do understand, right? Even the very breath in your lungs right now is God's breath. Genesis 2, and God breathed into Adam and he became a living being. Everything you have is God's. 
And, and so this, this first step of entering into this financial thriving is realizing that everything is his. You know, the, the verse that Matt lifted for us before earlier from um, Psalm 24, verse one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof is the old translation, everything in it. How much stuff does God have? Infinite stuff, right? All, it, every atom that exists comes from him in the whole universe. He has infinite stuff. And, and so when we enter into this, it begins that mindset shift where we realize this. So God tells the Israelites, I want you to give an offering. I want you to give the tithe, these first fruits. All right, Th- that was, it was designed, I think, not, does God need it? No, he doesn't eat. <laughs> God doesn't need the food. The food is for the Levites and the, the you know, fatherless and the uh, widows and the resident alien. We'll talk about that in a second. He doesn't need the food. He does it to lift their awareness that all those blessings come from God. It's helping them enter into this idea. It's helping them enter into this mindset that everything we have comes from him. Now, you need to understand, in the world of the Old Testament, it was primarily an agrarian, agricultural economy. Nearly everything that ancient Israel did was focused on, on growing food, either plants or you know, animals and, and animal products. And, and even those who were not directly involved in farming usually supported that industry, right? So a blacksmith doesn't grow food, but what are they gonna be making? Tools, plows, horseshoes, right? Like the, everything that is pretty much agrarian, everything is focused on it. I've told you before that, that prior to coming to Chapel Rock, all of my previous ministries have been in small towns and rural places. It's still weird for me on a Sunday morning to be standing in the lobby and not hear anybody talk about the harvest. How many of y'all farm? That's what I thought, right? Like so, it's just, but this is, and it's, so it's harder for us to understand. We in the, here in the city have to do a little more work. The first fruits are the first and best 10%. If you want to understand, what are the first fruits? It's first and best. It's both in the Hebrew mind, okay? So if you want to understand, it's the first and best 10% of anything's produce, let me try to give you a concrete example. Anybody here have a garden in their backyard? Maybe a few more hands go. Okay, good, so you'll get this. Let's say you plant 10 green bean plants, right? And each green bean plant in its first flowering, first picking, gives off 30 green beans. What's your tithe on that? There's 10 of them, it's 30 green beans, right? That would be the tithe, right? Now, green beans usually have more than one picking. You can do it again. Do you tithe on that? Not according to this text. The first fruits, it's first and best, right? And, and typically, if you've ever had grown green beans, you know it, that first picking is usually the best one. They, they kind of degrade in quality after that. Here's why this matters. Moses is working at the Holy Spirit's leading to establish Israel's practice of the tithe or the first fruits, not because God needs it, he doesn't need the food, but because God's people should reflect the character of the one who causes them to thrive. God is gonna use that food for something else. He's gonna use that wealth a different way. We're gonna see that in a second. But this first step in entering into financial thriving is realizing that it's all his. The first step in you really beginning to thrive financially is the mindset shift that you need to understand that everything I have is his. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, one of the dangers of having a lot of money is that you may be quite satisfied with the kinds of happiness that money can give and so fail to realize your need for God. If everything seems to come simply by signing checks, you may forget that you are at every moment totally dependent on God. 
I guess it's possible in a group this size that some of you have begun to take for granted the blessings that we have here in the United States. We have been mightily blessed. And, and, and hopefully you're gonna be mindful of that over the coming weeks as we get closer to Thanksgiving. I, the, Thanksgiving, apart from Easter and Christmas, is my favorite holiday because Madison Avenue can't mess up gratitude. Kind of hard to commercialize that. I love it. I, I, lo- I love this idea of really being cognizant of everything that God has given us. But it's, it's possible in a group this size that you might think that we enjoy these blessings simply because we live in America. And I'm grateful that we live where we do when we do. I'm thankful that the mindset of our founding fathers was at least, if not Christian, at least theistic. In, in understanding that these blessings come from God and, and the President Lincoln ordaining a day of national thanksgiving for us. I love that. I'm grateful for that. But I do not believe that that's where our blessings come from. We don't have them because this is a great nation, though it is. We have them because they come from God. They originate in Him. And so I think it's a good thing to start thinking through, like, okay, well, how do I conform my care? If God is so generous and everything comes from him, and he's so generous to give. How do I conform my life to that? The the process of entering is beginning that mindset shift that you need to make of going, how do I become more like him? We want to resource you to do that. Um, So you're going to get an email from us this week with a link to a video in it on on how to do this in your own life. How how to, even in the disbursement of your, your wealth when you go to be with the Lord, how to do this. Um, we're gonna get, we have a chance tonight when we talk at the annual meeting about just the incredible blessing that we have in about, what's today? A little over six weeks. Church has no more debt. Be, they'll be totally paid off. And we're, yeah, we're totally amped about that. That's awesome, praise God. But that should not have happened until 2026. But it was because somebody in this fellowship had got a hold of this in their heart. God got a hold of their heart and they said, you know what, in my final affairs, I wanna make sure to make, remember Chapel Rock. And it put us way ahead of schedule. And so you're gonna get a, vi- a link to a video that kinda talks about how you can do that, right? We're gonna talk a little bit more about that tonight. But the process of entering just means getting your head around this idea that everything you have is God's. It all comes from Him, right? That's the, that's the first thing. Here's the second step, possess, possess. Now, I want to be clear, I'm not encouraging materialism. I'm not asking you to become greedy or grasping. Israel was told to enter into the land and possess it. (laughs) It's one thing to get in line to be blessed. It's a whole different ballgame to actually receive the blessing. Let me give you an example. Um, I like doing woodworking projects in my garage. I'm not any good at it, but I like it. Um, A lot of my work is with people, and there's not always a definite finish date. Like, it's an ongoing thing, you know, to, to discipleship as a process. Um, so it's nice to be able to start a project and work it through and finish it. And I like that. That feels good to me, right? Um, and I like doing woodworking stuff, and I'm a guitar player. So if you were to say to me, like, hey, Casey, I want to give you a computer-controlled router. Awesome. I can make guitars. Like, good ones, you know, with this. That's fantastic. I'm like, okay, yeah, we're going to drop it off at your garage. Cool. And I go home one day, and there's the thing. Oh, it's amazing. And then you're like, oh yeah, here's the manual. What? I gotta read a book? I gotta learn how to use, yeah, man. You gotta learn how to use this thing. Ugh. Possess. 
It's, it's one thing to get in line to be blessed. It's a whole different ballgame to put in the work necessary to receive it. And so God is telling Israel, you gotta put in the work necessary to receive the blessing. And we saw that a few weeks ago, right? Because they're like, oh man, they're, they're, those people are big and they got cities with walls and swords and stuff. And, God, and Caleb and Joshua are like, ah, come on, we can take them. Like, let's go, you know? I mean, these blessings, yes, they come from him, but he's giving them to you. And you gotta put in the work to possess it. I think sometimes people have this wrong view of God's blessings, you know, that they just gotta sit back on the couch and wait for him to dump presents in their lap. That's not typically how that works. I think Benjamin Franklin once said, I find that the harder I work, the luckier I am. This farmer, whoever he is in the text, would probably have paid his yearly tithe locally, like to the priest or Levite who lived near him every year. But every third year, they would take this special gift and take it to wherever the tabernacle and then eventually the temple was. That's what Moses is setting up, right? Probably at Shiloh, eventually in Jerusalem. And and it's interesting here because, you know, there's this, that takes work. I mean, you know, every year probably was local. Every third year, he's got a trip to make. Unless he lives close, I mean, it, there's, some, there's some effort involved in, in getting this gift and receiving God's blessings that come from it. Right now, let me skip, look, if we were to look back at Deuteronomy 11. In Deuteronomy 11, verse 31, it says this, you are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession. There it is. Take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. When you have taken it over and are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws I'm setting before you today. By the way, did you notice the progression? Same three, it's the same three ideas, right? Enter, possess, settle. L- living there, settling. What I'm saying is that really possessing all the blessings that God wants to provide for you so you can thrive is you don't just sit on the couch and wait for him to dump them out. It's probably gonna take some work. It means conforming your life to the standard that he lays out in his word. Now, he may give the blessing before you learn how to enjoy it, but you won't really enjoy it without a heart like his. If you really want to enjoy the blessings that God has for you, your heart is going to have to become as generous as his. Paul Brand, in his book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, writes this, Dear Lord, I have been rereading the record of the rich young ruler and his obviously wrong choice, but it has set me thinking. No matter how much wealth he had, he could not ride in a car have a surgery, turn on a light, buy penicillin, hear a pipe organ, watch TV, wash dishes in running water, type a letter, mow a lawn, fly an airplane, sleep on an inner spring mattress, or talk on the phone. So, if he was rich, what on earth am I? You won't really learn to thrive until you possess every blessing that God wants to give you. And that takes some work. (laughs) That's why the New Testament says, if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. Possessing these blessings takes some effort on your part. It means becoming becoming the best you can be at the job that you do. Giving, you know, your best effort every day at work. We enter into this we begin to have this mindset, everything I have is from God. We possess it, right? We we really begin to go, yeah, I wanna work hard to achieve every blessing that God has for me. And finally, then, this third step is to settle. 
And by that, I, I don't mean like to put up with something less than. That's not what I mean by settle. I mean like settle in, to, get, to, to be at home, to be at rest in this place. In this final step, I think what it means is you're settling into a lifestyle of generosity. You're settling into a lifestyle of being like God and being a giver. Leighton Farrell was a minister of Highland Park Church in Dallas for a lot of years. He tells a story about two men uh, in their young years. They, they grew up on the same street. They were buddies their whole life. And, and one of them decided to go into business, and God called one of them into ministry. And, and they just, I mean, they, like I said, grew up together, went to high school together. Um, and then ultimately ended up at the same university. The guy was doing his, you know, Master of Science degree in business, the, the other guy was doing uh, in communication, and then the business guy goes off to get his MBA in, in, in you know, master's level, and the, the, the guy that God called into ministry goes off to get his MDiv in seminary, and, and they just, they stay in the same town, and as young men, they, they kind of, man, they were just like Batman and Robin, like the dynamic duo, and they made a vow to one another, they made a covenant that they would always tithe, they would always give 10%, first and best 10%, right? They made this covenant to one another. And they kept it early on. You know, this, this business guy was going to church at where his friend was in his first pastorate. And so his, his friend was also his pastor. And they were buddies. And they, man, they, they were faithful. And so the first year the business guy made $1,000 or $10,000, he tied the 1000 And then God continued to bless him. And you probably met these people. They just kind of have a gift at making money, right? And, and so he made, made $100,000. And, and he tied $10,000. And life kind of took he and his, his friend different ways. The guy took a new ministry, businessman moved to, to expand his business, and then a few years passed, he made a million dollars, and he tied the 100,000. Time passed, his business continued to grow, and, and one year he made $6 million, and he just couldn't quite bring himself to write that check for 600 grand. It was just like, oh my word. And so he called his buddy, he said, hey, I'm gonna be in town on business, can I come see you? Yeah, it's been years, man, I'd love to see you. So, he goes to the church where the guy's serving and walks in the office, like, hey, great to see you, hug, all that stuff, you know, the guys do, right? And, and then he goes, hey, listen, um, we need to end this covenant that we've been in. He's, what? The preacher's like, what are you talking about? He said, I, you know, I, I've been faithful all this time, but I, 600, God really blessed me this year, $600,000. I, I don't think I can afford that. And his preacher friend looked at him and he went, hmm. And he got out of his chair and he knelt down on the floor in his office and he began to pray. Just bowed his head, just in utter silence. Which, if you've ever been in a situation like that, the silence gets really loud really fast. <laughs> and he's just praying like this and, and after about 30 seconds, his friend's like, um, Pastor, are you, are you praying about whether or not we should end this covenant? He said, No. I'm asking God to reduce your income so that your tithe won't bother you as much. <laughs> Don't make me do that. <laughs> Listen, settling into financial thriving means living a generous lifestyle. And part of the way this played out in ancient Israel was this regular provision for the work of the Lord to continue. That's the gift to the Levites. It's so that God's work can continue. But then you have these other three groups, right? You have foreigners or resident aliens. In our modern day parlance, we would say refugees, right? Why? Because Israel was for a while. Abraham was for a while. 
God's own son was for a while in Egypt. And you've got orphans. Why? Because the Bible says that God is a father to the fatherless. Because Jesus said, do not hinder the little ones from coming to me. God cares about children. And widows, why? Because God is the great bridegroom of heaven. And for, in, in this culture, a woman who was not married had very little means to provide for herself. Things are different now. I suppose that's a good thing. I know that's a good thing. But it wasn't that case then. And God cares for these people. Moses then says, every third year, you take your tithe to the central sanctuary and it can be distributed to help these folks, the Levites and these three protected classes, basically. Now, some scholars are, are say that this was a, a, on top of the regular annual tithe that would go to support their local priests and Levites. I don't, we don't know for sure. It, it, that's, that's unknown. But here's what makes sense to me. And the, the logistics is like, how do you have the whole nation showing up at the same time every year to do this? Like, how would that, I don't know, maybe you don't. There were 12 tribes. Maybe they just had, you know, every third year, a fourth of them did it quarterly. I, I don't know, like you could figure this out. The text ends again with a note about the goodness of the Lord. He, he, part of the way that, we, that we, we really settle into this is beginning to live this lifestyle of generosity. So what does, that, what does that mean? What is a lifestyle of generosity? Well, let me throw some options at you. What if it's just what I feel like giving? What if that's what it is? You know, I mean, some would say that just whatever you happen to have on hand, happen to have on hand at the moment, you just give that. Right? And that's kind of what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 42. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Right? The idea there is just kind of like whatever you happen to have in your hand at the moment, you know, give that. Is that what the, the biblical standard is? No, no, I think it's richer than that. So, you know, we've been talking about tithing. What if it's that? A tithing is 10% of all income. And it's the first and best 10%. So when, when you use the term tithe, you need to use it correctly. A tithe, biblically speaking, is the first and te best 10%. What that means, y'all, is that that's, tithing is pre-tax. Because if God gets the first 10%, that means Uncle Sam hadn't had his cut yet. So biblically speaking, a tithe is pre-tax. It's off your gross, not your net, okay? It's the first fruits. Now, we don't live in an agrarian economy, so for a lot of you, that's just gonna be taken out of your check or, or, or whatever, however you do that direct deposit, that's how we do it here. Like, we get, here at Chapel Rock, we get paid on the 1st and 15th, and it goes in and immediately right back out. I mean, just on the same day, because that's where our giving is set up to auto-withdraw, um, you know, out of our checking account. That, that's kind of the minimum standard in the law of Moses. Is that, is that what is asked of us? Well, it's a, it's a good thing, I think, Scripture would go further. I don't know if that's necessarily biblical generosity. For if, you're, if you're not quite there yet, it might be a good goal to aim for, right? Well, what if it's a tithe plus an offering, right? Because that, that maybe is what be, is being asked here, right? The regular yearly tithe, but this might be a special one on top of it to care for the Levites and, and the refugees and orphans and widows. Maybe that's what's going on. I mean, you can make a case for that. So maybe it's a tithe plus special offerings, like next Sunday. We're having our celebration of sharing offering. And I ask you to be praying about that and thinking about what you could give above and beyond to help support folks at Christmas time. And man, there's never, I mean, the need has rarely been as strong as it is right now. And so be, maybe that's what that is. Well, I mean, those, that's, a, that's a good thing. 
That's what, you know, Deb and I have aimed for every year is, is a tithe plus, you know. But you need to understand that tithing is not the New Testament standard. Christians are not required to tithe. I think it's a good thing. I think in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus put a stamp of approval on it. He talks about it positively. So if that's what you're doing, awesome, keep it up. Thank you for that. I can tell you that over 25 years of ministry in seven different congregations, I have never met anybody who regretted doing it, ever. I've served thousands of people over my years in ministry. Not one has ever come up to me and said, you know, I really wish I wouldn't have tithe. It's never happened. But what God expects of us is not the tithe. It's a great practice, great discipline to get into. It helps get the hooks of wealth, seductive allure out of your heart. But if you really want to thrive financially, I think you have to go one step further. I think, that, I think the next step is really it's when God has an all-access pass to your stuff. When, when God has an all-access pass to every drop of wealth you've got, that's biblical generosity. And some will be like, but I worked hard for this. Yeah, who made your hands? Who made your mind? It, it all his. It all comes from him. Real generosity begins when you view everything you have as God's. It's an attitude that leads to an action. When, when God has an all-access pass to your stuff, you can do what Jesus said and you can give it away when someone asks. If he's got an all-access pass to your stuff, you can balance providing for your family and investing in the kingdom. If God has an all-access pass to my stuff, I don't have to keep up with the Joneses, I just gotta keep up with Jesus. And there's really just one application today. If you wanna thrive financially, you're not gonna get there without an intentional practice of generosity. Because you gotta conform your heart to the nature of God's heart, and God is a giver. And when you can settle in, when you can really just kinda get down and get comfy in that, you trust his provision, you stop, like Matt said, you stop worrying about money, you trust that God is gonna provide, and you can just enjoy a life of generosity. It's awesome. It helps you thrive. Now, I could stop right there. But if I did, a rabbi could have preached this sermon. And I once had a preaching professor tell me that if a rabbi can preach your sermon, it's not a Christian sermon. I think that's right. There's one more bit of information I want to give you today. One more thought that I want to challenge you this morning. No part of Deuteronomy specifies when these offerings are to be given. The tithe, the first fruits offering. We assume at harvest time, but there are multiple harvests through the year, right? We, it never says when you're supposed to do this. But, Numbers 28, 26 refers to the festival of weeks, one of the yearly festivals of the Jews, as the, quote, day of the first fruits. And the offerings envisioned here may have been associated with the festival of weeks. You know what else we call the festival of weeks? Pentecost. Now that puts a whole new twist on Acts 2, doesn't it? If this offering was given at the central sanctuary, the temple by Jesus' time, during the Feast of Pentecost, why are all the Jews in Jerusalem? They're giving this gift. They've come to Jerusalem in this year of the tithe to give the gift. 
They're there because of God's generosity and goodness to them. And God tells his people on the day of Pentecost, you think you've got something to give? Oh, buddy, I got more than you could ever possibly imagine. I'm going to give you myself. And he pours out his spirit. And Peter gets up and he preaches. And he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive, to receive a gift, to take unto oneself is what that means, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Church, I think that this happened, the reason that the church was together on the day of Pentecost was that they were giving this gift, and God said, no, you don't understand, I'm gonna give you something that you can't even wrap your brains around. But you have to receive it. And you have to acknowledge Jesus as Savior and Lord. And so we're gonna ask you to do that right now if you haven't. We're gonna stand and sing a song together. And if you've never made the decision to trust Jesus as savior and provider in your life, you're gonna have an opportunity to do that now. Maybe wealth has gotten its hooks into your heart, especially in this time of great inflation and price increases, and you've started worrying. And so maybe for you today, the application is to repent, to trust the providence of God once again. And so you're gonna have an opportunity to do that even as we sing, to just say, Lord, I just recommit my life to living a faithful life of generosity. Maybe you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you today. I'm gonna ask you to stand and, uh, and you respond as God leads you this morning.